0: everyone. I am so happy to be here and I promise I won't make you cry, (laughs) but you know, God is so cool the way he just, um, I got to fix my pants. Okay. You know, there, now I'm good. Uh, God is so cool the way he just weaves people together. Isn't he? So I have a big request of the beautiful production department. If we could raise the house lights, because there are so many beautiful women in this room, and I am, that's better. A little bit more. How's that? Yeah, is that good? All right, because now I can see you. And anyway, I'm just absolutely honored to be here. I mean, one of my favorite things that I get to do Is to come into gatherings like this. Because you know there is something really, really remarkable when women gather together. There's something about the feminine heart. Coming together around the feet of Jesus. And I love that when we look in the scriptures and we see that Mary chose that place. And what Jesus said is she's chosen the better thing and it won't be taken from her. And I just want to say to you on this beautiful Saturday afternoon, you chose the better thing because you came because you're hungry. You didn't come because you knew me. I mean, I don't have any big name out there, but Jesus does. And so I'm here in his name. Amen. And I just want to serve you in this beautiful house. So I want you to meet my family where they're going to throw a photo up on the screen. This is my gorgeous husband. He married an older woman. I'm six months older than him, and he's about hes about to turn 61 in a few days, do the math. And then this is my son-in-law, Josiah. I now have a son in love, and I'm, I love him. He is absolutely amazing. And this is my beautiful daughter, Lauren, who was expecting my first grandchild at the time. And, and this was taken uh, in November and then beautiful Audrey was born in January. I want you to see her. Is she the cutest little thing or what? I I had threatened my daughter that I was going to buy tutus, like plenty of tutus for her. And she's like, don't even think about it. Well, not only did I think about it, I bought it. I'm the grandma. I get to do that. And so she put it on her and she's like, I never knew I would like that so much. And I said, you know, just listen to mama. You'll be okay. So I want to ask you an interesting question. What is the craziest thing that's in your purse right now? Like I have a baby Glock in mine. No, I don't. But I could, but I flew here on a plane and I didn't want to get arrested. So the Glock is at home. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Oklahoma. I can say that. <laughs> I was in California last week and I said that and it didn't go over so well. <laughs> okay. Somebody tell me the craziest thing in their purse right now. Breast milk. Breast milk. Yeah. Josh is coming down there like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, we we carry some crazy things in our purse. I mean, think about your purse. Purses are a necessity of life, right? I mean, just think, where would you be without your purse, you know? And and can I even just give you the flip side of it? Where would our purses be without us? (laughs) They would be existing on a shelf in a store somewhere without purpose and without a home. But you and I, we walk into TJ Maxx, and we see these lonely accessories there, and we say, come to mama. I will give you a purpose. I will give you a meaning for life, right? And guys totally do not understand our relationship with our purse. And if you ever want to see fear in a man's eyes, ask him to hold your purse. They're like... Isn't it true? And you think about purses are so important because they they carry all the necessities of life. And can you imagine, dare someone try to steal your purse? I mean, what would you do? You would, like, turn on them, wouldn't you? You would, like, become superwoman and turn on them. I saw this video. This woman's walking down the street with her purse on her shoulder. Some dude is running up behind her, grabs her purse, starts running off with it. Unfortunately, he trips, and she pummels him. She's like, how dare you? So why am I talking about purses? Because purses have something in common with something that I fear that is being taken from us. Or at the very least, we are letting go of, and that is hope. You know, hope is like a purse in that it carries our dreams and our plans for the future. And I feel like the Lord has been impressing upon me that a lot of people, a lot of his daughters— are losing hope for the future because they're looking at what society is planning and they are being discouraged. And that's not what we're called to. We're not called to that kind of life. We are called to something different. I mean, think about how you guard your purse. You need to guard your hope. I mean, think about it. The scripture tells us When hope is deferred, our hearts are sick. So that's describing a state of emotional being where you're just kind of going through the motions, but you are not enjoying the life you were given. And we were given this abundant life, weren't we? Didn't he say, I came for this purpose? I didn't come to give you an ordinary life. I came that you would have this. And so when he says that you would have it, it means it's up to us to choose it or not. It's up to us to choose the abundance or the ordinary and the average. And I'm not talking about living in a state of dissatisfaction about things, but I'm talking about squeezing every drop out of life that we're supposed to have. And I I think this is meaningful to me. I'm 61 years old. So, you know, as I've gotten older, I've been here a minute and I've had lots of ups and downs in life and I just made a decision that you know what if you meant me to have this abundant life then I am going to discover what that is so I can have it. You can't have something you don't understand. You can't fully possess unless you understand what he wants you to have. And so in my in my mind hope has kind of gotten a bad rap. You know, it's, it doesn't seem, it's kind of like a secondary thing, but that's maybe what the way society defines it, but that's not the way scripture defines it. And so we have to go with the biblical understanding of it because he says these three faith, hope and love. And he says the greatest of these is what love, but look where hope is, It's up there in the top three. So maybe we should think about what it means. And maybe we should be more intent about restoring it, returning it, because without it, we find ourselves discouraged. Now, I love Sarah's message. I mean, I told her, I'm going to have to listen to your message at least three more times because there's so much depth to what she shared. Wasn't that awesome? You are blessed. You are blessed. And that is your cue to say, yes, I am blessed. (laughs) Good. You right on cue. And she talked about David, and I love how God's just kind of weaving this story even today, because when we look at David in Psalm 43, he says this passage, why am I so discouraged? I will put my hope in God. Now, here's what I love about it. He noticed he was discouraged. He just didn't live under this cloud. He noticed something is amiss. He, he wasn't expecting to live a life where he was discouraged. He had an expectancy for another kind of living, another kind of attitude. And so he notes that there's something wrong. And he asks himself this question, and he already knows the answer. I will put my hope in God. See, some of us are waiting on God to fix stuff. When the fixing is about us replenishing or restoring it back in him, you have a choice because the way you get your hope back is when you decide to put it back in the right person. And a lot of times we get confused about hope for, and we forget about the hope in. And the hope in is what matters. He identifies, this is not my norm. I remember having a conversation with a friend and I had been counseling her about her marriage because there, there was a lot of struggle in their relationship in the way that they were treating one another. And all of a sudden I said to her, I said, do you know what you need right now? You need to restore your sense of hope in God for your marriage because you're missing this. This is a key part for you to be able to move forward. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Have that conversation with the Lord. You see, it wasn't David's norm, and guess what? It shouldn't be your norm either. You shouldn't accept it as your norm if you feel discouraged a lot of times. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 6, in verse 18, Therefore, we, this group, we who have fled to him for refuge, we can have great confidence. And I love this. Sarah was talking about all this self-assurance garbage, I love that she was illuminating truth to you. We were never meant to be independent. We're not meant to be codependent, but we are meant to be interdependent. This life we now live, my passage, my life passage in Galatians two twenty, which says, "It's no longer I that lives, because I died." But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's I have been regenerated. I have been reborn. And people who are reborn don't live dead lives. And so he... This is what he's telling us. You know, there's, there's something that you and I have this great confidence that comes from this one thing. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. Why? Because this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. See, sometimes our souls are discouraged because we're missing the anchor. And notice this, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary because there's always more to God. The invitation is always more. The prompting and the wooing of the Spirit is always more of Him. And until you can learn to turn down the wooing of the world, you will not be able to even connect, to spot, to follow The wooing of the spirit, because he will not compete with the world for your heart. Because you have the freedom to choose. Choose well. And he talks about this is the confidence that causes us to go through this curtain. You see, this is where the enemy plays us. Because when we talk about the confidence, when we talk about hope, hope is, hope is associated with feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's a confidence. And the enemy wants to do one thing. It is erode your sense of hope. Why? Because that way you will get up to the curtain and you will stand there and you will look at the curtain, but you will never go through it. But his hope is what gets you through the curtain. And the way he does it is he says, you know what? Mm, your prayers, you know, you've been doing all this other stuff, so the way you talk to your husband, you know, your prayers, you just kind of, just forget it. They they don't mean anything. Uh, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that that somehow this is going to happen for you? I mean, you only have 300 followers on Instagram, so therefore, you just don't cut it. It's not about how popular we are, it's about how we're populating heaven. We have to change the criteria for what makes us happy. Pleasing him, pleasing him. So don't let the enemy tell you that you don't have any reason to hope. Not this time for you, not this time for your marriage. No, you go through that curtain, you go through the curtain and you possess what's on the other side and you have a confidence. That's not a brash boldness, a feminist type of thing. It's rooted in him because you know, you are a daughter. The greatest position you will ever have in life is a daughter. It don't get no better than that. No title, nothing else. But this is the confidence that we have to go through the curtain. So it's more than a a feeling. There's an assurance and a confidence that's otherworldly. It's not of ourselves. And you and I were meant to have that. He says in in Hebrews 10.35, Therefore, don't cast away your confidence. Don't let someone talk you out of it. Don't let someone degrade you to the point where you cannot have hope because if you do, it will have great reward. So I look in this room and I see so many young, beautiful faces and I wonder where you are about your future. I wonder if you're wrestling with some of the decisions about your next because you don't know what's on the other side of the curtain. And you don't know if it's good. You don't even know if there's going to be a job that's going to pay you enough to because of the college debt you incurred. Whatever it is you're wrestling with, I want, I want you to know my heart really goes out to you. Because on one hand, every generation seems to have it a little more difficult than the other. But you know what I know about you? I'm a, I do know how to floss. I, <laughs> what I know about you... The millennial generation is you are wired for this. You are wired. He has placed something on the inside of you so that you will conquer and do well. So fear not. Don't worry about what's on the other side of the curtain. Okay, I know it can be confusing. We're trying to figure out life, it can be so confusing, it can be discouraging. And you try to get voices to speak into you that sometimes just even lend more to the confusion. Does anybody in this room, am I talking to anybody in this place? Come on, my church has a lot of African-Americans. They like to talk to me. So come on, girls. So see, a lot of us, you know what we're doing when we're we're young? Is we want to know the direction. We want to know the path. And, and, we're, and we're like waiting, okay, are you going to talk to me? We get ticked off at God. He's not talking to me, but he is. You see, the thing is that there's an order. There's a strategy of heaven. There's an order to his kingdom. And for us to know the path, there's some other things that we need to know first. And I love this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not disaster, even in 2020 and 2040, to give you a future and a hope. He knows and he wants you to know. But there is this order, there's this strategy. So I want to talk to you this afternoon about the promises, the plans, and the path. Because that's the order of which he speaks to us. And, and we, we can try to jump ahead, and I just want to know the path. I just want to know the direction. I just, I just want to know this. And that's not the way he's going to operate. Because guess what? He's more interested in answering than, than just answering your prayer. He's interested in a relationship. And the relationship he gets to define on his terms. And we know that as women. Because if there is of the two genders, the one that likes to determine how the relationship goes down is this gender right here, right? (laughs) So we got to give it up to him. It's like, okay, you get to do the terms. And I get to follow the terms of this relationship. Because it's so much more than just about answering your sweet little prayer, my darling. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to know me as father. I don't want you to be so independent because you'll screw it up anyway. You know, that's really, isn't that the truth? (laughs) So to discern the path, we have to first know the plan. And when I talk about the plan, the plan is the, the purpose for your life. It's about your giftings. And, you know, as you grow, your giftings become more obvious. Just because you know your giftings doesn't mean you know the plan. Okay? Because we're going to assign our own understanding and our own plan if we don't know His. And before, you to know, before you're going to be able to know the plan, you must know the promises. The promises are His Word. I mean, how, how do you view his word? Is his word optional reading? Is, does, I, had to, I had to leave my phone parked on my dresser and not on my bedside because it was so tempting for me to get on social media first thing in the morning. And I, I had to remove that temptation like I do for a little toddler. Yep, that's where I am spiritually. Why in the world am I up here preaching to you? I don't know. I was invited, (laughs) but I mean, what, what, what about the word of God? How much does his word speak into your life? Um, you know, I mean, think about how we obtain information today. We click it, we Google it. We ask Alexa that creepy thing in your house. that's listening to everything you say. Somebody gave me Alexa and I'm wondering, I just, I don't know. This is, we go after the information and we are served the information we need. We don't even know how to listen anymore because everything is done at a click of a button. And so we're losing out because we're not being conditioned to listen to the still, small voice of the spirit. Because I guarantee you, he won't show up on your Google watch. All right. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Is written by human beings. The word of God is written by men who God breathed on them as they wrote down the things that he wanted. And you and I are going to have to make a decision about the word of God. Because we are used to receiving things as truth that aren't truth. And we don't even know how to properly vet it. So just like society tries to define hope for us, it also tries to define Truth. And societal truth is relative. That means it fluctuates. So if you have a truth that fluctuates, how reliable can that be? Can I just ask you a practical question? If truth is changing, ever changing, then how reliable is it? Because he is the God that doesn't change, and therefore he is the same yesterday. So his word is still relevant to us, and it will be relevant to your grandchildren's children. It will. Truth does not come in versions. It is not your truth that sets you free. It's his truth. It's your truth that gets you even more screwed up. I love you, so I'm telling you this. You see, we have to check this ability of what we're standing on. Think about how Jesus talked about this. He's talked about the rock or sinking sand. What are we building our life on? Because I know that as a 20-some-year-old, as I'm graduating from the Art Institute of Pittsburgh with a degree in art and design, I had it set in my mind that I was going to become, I was going to replace Louis Vuitton. (laughs) But if you notice, there are no CR handbags, logo handbags out there, at least that I know of. Maybe Salvation Army has one, I don't know. But that didn't happen. But I had this plan for my life based on what I knew. And I understand something about us because I had suffered a lot of disappointments. People had let me down. And so I just made a decision at some point in my early 20s that I was going to trust no one and I was going to depend on only me. And I bought into the feminist mentality that was just coming up in my time. And, you know, here's the thing. Guess what? One day, even you will let yourself down. And so there I was, I had this great plan in it and, and I didn't have God's plan. <laughs> and I, I, I had my truth and I just crashed and burned. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because he got my attention. I wasn't born again. I wasn't saved until I was in my uh, 24 years old. So I had a lot of life that I screwed up in a short period of time did a lot in a short period of time, but when I came to know the truth, I began to see that actually it was possible to know what is true, and I feel like our society, and actually even some of us in the church are standing in front of Jesus, just like Pilate, and saying, what is truth, and, and here he was, truth was standing right in front of him. And think about what Jesus said to him. He said, I was born, and I came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I pray this over us. Oh, God, make us a lover of truth because when we seek truth we see truth we'll know truth it is possible to discern the clutter and find the gold because this is why he told us we should not live by bread alone he wants us to stop depending on all these natural things to feed ourselves with to feed our egos with to feed our what our insecurities with don't feed the wrong thing feed your beautiful spirit My word is truth. Man should not live by bread alone. See, we all know what it's like to have carb cravings, right? We just need that kind of carb. Like Jesus is the new carb. He's the good carb. He addeth no weighteth to thee, okay? I didn't know I spoke Elizabethan until just a second ago. Learn to be fed by living bread. You know where you just say, Jesus, your word is delicious. Because it's easy to get bored with a word. I mean, I've been in ministry for like 30 years. I get bored. And I just say, I go back to this place where I go, Lord, give me a love for your word. Because he said, take heed how you hear the word of God. What he's saying is the attitude that you approach my word with has everything to do with what you get from it. Because I'm not going to his word for information. I'm going to his word for transformation because my mind needs to be removed. My mind is a continual project for Jesus. And so when we talk about hope being an anchor for your soul, well, an anchor has to be secured into something. And hope is connected to truth. You cannot have hope to be secure unless it is anchored in truth. And when he says in Hebrews 11, one, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the, is the evidence. Hope is the confidence. Those two are meant to work together. Hope works with faith and trust. Hope is the anticipation, and trust or faith is that determination. You see, you and I don't need to just grind it out. I mean, I had a lot to learn. In my early years as a Christian, I would, I would try to use my faith. For, I'm using my faith. I'm using my faith for something. I'd be gripping my teeth, using my faith. I had no hope. I didn't know that there was an element I was missing out on. Faith is a gift of God. You can't hype it up. It comes from knowing what he says. And it's it's a position that you take. That's not about feelings. It says, okay, God, you said this in your word. You said that we were to be fruitful and multiply. And so I don't care what the doctors tell me. Because the doctors had told me that I would never conceive. I would never have a child. You saw her. Jesus is good. So what was I going to do? Was I going to take the report of the doctor and live by that? Or was I going to live by truth? And it wasn't my truth. It was the truth. And so... As a result of that, as a result of making that decision, you know what, Jesus, you said it, and that's all I need. That's really all I need. And out of that, I began to see things. I began to envision my little girl. I began to already decorate her room. Of course, I would do that. I would just, you know, I'm picking out colors, and I'm seeing things. See, can I tell you something that the... I know when I start talking about visualizing things, some of you are going, oh, she new age. Don't let new age borrow language that belongs to the kingdom of heaven, okay? Meditation is an Eastern practice that Jesus used to do, okay? He might not have been in a lotus position at the time, but he did meditate, and we need to meditate on his word. Meditate that the attitudes of my mind and the thoughts would be pleasing to you, and what is more pleasing to him than when we meditate on the word, You want to defeat a stinking attitude? Meditate on the word. And let that word become flesh. Become a part of your personality. Become a part of your life. I mean, you just have to be ferocious about his word. And out of that, you'll begin to see things. There is an anticipation. There's an excitement that will arise. You don't have to manifest it. You just go after the word that way and you will have That as a result, faith is based on his word now and hope springs up as a result of you and I having faith and that's where the joy and peace comes. And even in the midst of a storm, that anchor is still tucked in there. That's when you need the anchor. When you're out at sea and the boat is tossed to and fro, that anchor is secure. And you know, I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right here. And that's what he wants us to have. Faith and hope are so essential. But this is why he encourages us in Psalm, in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't just depend on your own understanding. I don't care how brilliant you are. Don't depend upon that. Receive his word as ultimate truth. Take heed how you hear it. I'm reading his word and I'm already believing it before I even read it. That's a decision. This is not a book of loss. It's a book of promises. And that's the way we need to see it. You see, I know this, no matter how wonderful your walk with the Lord is, there is something even greater that he has for you than what you're leaning on. There's so much more that he has for you. There's something more reliable than your feelings. Thank God for that. I mean, we all know what it's like to be in our feelings. To eat our feelings. It's like, why do we let feelings reign supreme? Let's let the word of God reign supreme. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to read it again, for I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. You see, this is when the future becomes brighter. Because when you are devouring the promises of God clarity of purpose comes out of that. You see, the, pl- the path is hidden in the plan and the plan is hidden in the purpose. And when you go out uh, in the promises, when you go after the promises, all of a sudden there's clarity for the plan. That's the way he works. This is, this is the order of his kingdom. And as you and I just learn to obey his word, guess what? We begin to understand his ultimate purpose for our life. You see, I knew I was gifted at design, but I didn't know how it was. I didn't know the kingdom purpose for it. And there is a kingdom purpose for every single gift you have whether it's administrative, whether it's selling it's kingdom purpose. If you are a person who is a salesperson, you get to connect with so many people. You get to be that God fragrance to so many people that need to know Jesus. Don't ever let anyone belittle your profession. Can I tell you, there is no sacred and secular divide. What you do is sacred because you were holy and you were his and you were bought with a price. Okay. You need to know that. You need to hear that. You need to hear us say that because we said a lot of stupid things from pulpits like this. And I'm willing to own it. I've been around long enough to see it. And I probably said it. Okay, so. As we learn to obey them, we begin to see this. And I understand what happened with me. You see, I had a plan. I had, my plan looked good, but his plan was for my good. And I began to see the difference. And when I surrendered my life to him, I began to see that I was to surrender my gifts to him. So I remember one day just going, Lord, I surrender my gifts. And I got, I ended up at this time, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, as a part of this church. My husband and I would later become the youth pastors. We were there for four and a half years. And can I tell you, once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor. I love teenagers. Even when I have to put my teeth in, I'm still going to be a youth pastor. They're going to think I'm gross, but I'm still going to be a youth pastor at heart. And I, I was, you know, barely making it. I was working as a waitress in this restaurant. But I had this new life with Christ, and I was right where I needed to be as a part of this church. And I, I had been trying to find some additional income. And I remember getting this job doing yellow page design. Yes, How exciting. It was my dream. But I remember dedicating and consecrating my gifts to him. And then all of a sudden, it was like I went from here to here with my talent. I cannot explain it. I could knock things out quicker. I had better ideas. And I was just marveling what happens when you give him what already belongs to him. When you consecrate your giftings for a holy purpose other than a paycheck, girlfriend look out, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And I watched my gift grow because I had infused kingdom purpose into it, or he had. I had allowed it. So when you become a lover of truth, there's something else that happens to you. You receive wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just about accumulating information and being able to rattle off interesting quotes. It's much more than that. See, wisdom is the ability to discern. And if there is one concern, can I just be super honest as a grandma? If there is one concern I have, especially when I look at my daughters out there sometimes, it's, do you have any ability to discern? There seems to be a lack of discretion and a lack of discernment because they're missing the wisdom. Discernment comes out of wisdom. You see, knowing his promises unlocks the plan and the purpose, but knowing his promises helps us to discern the path, the direction, the question you're asking right now. And this is why it says of Jesus in Isaiah 7 that he would butter and honey what he eats so that he would know how to choose the good and refuse the evil. And he's talking about the word of God. And this is is our ability. Discernment is simply the ability to distinguish and to separate, okay? You separate the truth from the non-truth, the fake from the real. Do you know that bankers today Most bankers, if they are trained properly, a teller can tell you when you put a fake bill in their hand by the feel of it. And here's how they train them. They train them how to detect counterfeit by doing nothing but handling, smelling, looking, and examining the real. That's the way you find out what's fake and what's real. You don't need to read mysticism books, on Eastern mysticism from some fluke out there. You don't need to read something on other religions to decide what is truth. You read truth so you can, d- you can discern when somebody's handing you something that's not true. We grow in our ability to discern by becoming more and more acquainted with truth. And we can tell when we come in contact with something. Because, see, you're not just having information. We don't do this life alone. We have an advantage. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Remember him? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's the one on the inside because he's been sent with a job to convict and to convince To convict us of our sin and to convince us when we are right on. It's like right now as I'm talking to you and I'm speaking from the word. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you is going, yes, yes, that's true. That's true for you. Remember, I was trying to talk to you about this last night when you were eating your pizza. Remember, this is the way he is. Some of you are afraid of the Holy Ghost. Because you saw some weird stuff at some church. I've seen it too. I've probably done it too. Okay. There you go. I got saved in the eighties. Let's just say hmm. we didn't need any weed to get weird. We were high on something. I would tell you about some of the meetings I was in. I'm so glad you're not weird. Holy spirit. He's your advantage. Lean in and listen. You see, how do you practice listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? When you are reading the word, listen to what he says to you about the word. And he'll drop these gold nuggets when you're brushing your teeth. Isn't that cool how he does it? You're like, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to swallow this toothpaste and die, but I got to get this down. (laughs) I love how he does life with us. I love this partnership. We need to know what's real, by knowing the truth. So discernment. Here's the cool thing about discernment. Okay, not only is it, it's not just the, the right from the wrong, it's, it saves you to help you discern the right from the almost right. Because sometimes you're trying to decide about this guy, and he's almost right, but he's not right. And you don't want to settle. Sarah talked about not settling. You you don't need to settle for second best. You know, you're trying to decide, should I buy the white Ferrari or the red Ferrari? He'll help you to discern. (laughs) And then he'll tell you, you can't afford the car payment. Go buy the Honda. Honey, honey. So, so he, he gets very clear with us. We do not need to live in this uncertainty. We weren't meant to live in uncertainty. Because, you know, once we know his heart, we can hear his direction and we'll trust it. We'll trust his direction. Like I said, my plan looked good, but his plan was for my good. And when I surrendered my plan I got the better end of the deal. Let's just say that. Because this is why David says, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Your word helps me to have the discernment, to know the direction for my next step. It's okay to talk to people and bounce things off of them. But you have to go to him first. Because here's the way he will work. If you go to him first, then when people are giving you their opinions, as good as they are, they're a lot of times just opinions, sometimes helpful, sometimes not. But when you've already heard something from him, then everybody else is going to either corroborate it or you're going to know that's not God or they're going to actually have something worthwhile to tell you. You see, human beings shouldn't be the first one to disclose God's path for your life. He wants that privilege. He wants that. Rela- That's the relationship he's after with you, that you would seek him first. I just heard someone thinking, well, but I don't, I don't hear him. Let me backtrack with you a second, because I was raised a Catholic, and I was raised in a, in a home that there was a lot of criticism and a lot of performance, and you had to perform in order to get any kind of recognition, and so that was my life growing up, and so when I came to know Jesus and I got saved, I, I just went on with that same kind of thinking in my relationship to him. I had to prove myself to him, and so I devoured the word of God because I wanted to prove myself to him, and And I'm reading this passage where he talks about, you know, his sons, and he talks about where Jesus is is talking to his disciples in John 15, and he says, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. In other words, a friend of God has insight. A son and daughter of God knows the heart of the Father. They're not just waiting for orders to be dictated. But I had to have a breakthrough. And where it started was sitting quietly before him. And, I mean, this is how basic, because I, I would hear other people go, yeah, you know, Daddy God this and Daddy God that. And I thought, you are weird. Because <laughs> I didn't have that. And so what I did was I would sit there in the quiet, and I would say, God, you said you love me, so I believe you love me. Because the only thing I could hear him say was, well done. But I want you to know, he wants to say, in you am I well pleased. He wants you to hear it. I had to train my mind so I could hear him express it to me. And so I would just say, you know what, God, you said you love me. You said I'm your daughter. I believe you love me like a daughter. I had to... Changed that. I had to rewire my thinking about my relationship with him. And if you've grown up in any kind of religion, honey, you're going to have to do the same thing. That's a part of the renewal of your mind. And when you can, you can hear him because his sheep said, "His fo- his sheep said, yeah, <laughs> his sheep are talking now." <laughs> he said, "My sheep hear my voice," and I would literally speak that passage over myself. I'm your sheep. And I know your voice. And guess what? I begin to hear it. I begin to sense his pleasure. And there's no turning back once you get there. And he wants all of you. That's what he wants to invite all of you. But we need to start here at the promises. We need to get to the place where we trust his promises entirely with all of our heart. Like all in, sold out. And we need to look to his word exclusively instead of feelings and reasoning. reasoning, That needs to take, that's secondary, backseat, baby. Feelings go in the backseat. Sometimes I even put them in the trunk. They can't be in the same car with me. And extensively in every aspect of life and decision-making, invite him into all of it because he owns all of you, sweetheart. You are his. So don't give up on hope. His plans for you are still good. Even if you got on the wrong plan. Even if, I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't, even if you were on the wrong path. And here's why I know. You know, you look at Abraham, the father of our faith. In Romans 4, 18, it says about him, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations because that was the promise that was given to him. And in the promise was birthed the plan of who he would be and his gifting and his calling on the earth. And he and he sometimes didn't know the path because it sure did take a long time for that little baby to be born. For God had said to him, this is how many descendants you would have. Now we look at this and we say, wow, Abraham... Yeah, Abraham, the father of our faith, he had the promise and he he held on to it. Look the way the scripture is talking about him. But but hold on, back up. Er, Take side note. There was a time he diverted from the plan and the path, and now we have Ishmael. Remember, this doesn't seem to be happening. Sarah's like, it's not going to happen. Would you take my maid? And then, of course, she gets mad at him for taking a maid. That's, that's right. We're like, have a baby with my maid. He's like, okay, well, you know, I've been waiting a, a while. So maybe this is a good plan. But here's what I love. When we're reading in Romans, we're not reading about Ishmael. We're not re- He's not remembered for Ishmael. He's remembered for righteousness. Because when you get back on the plan, when you come back and embrace the promise, and you allow Him to direct the path, heaven remembers you and it will be accounted to you for righteousness, just like Abraham. Just like Abraham. You see, God is in the redeeming business, and He can take the biggest mess and make the biggest glorious picture. Out of it. I love that. He just wants to see if we're going to keep hoping and trusting in him. Because again, it's about the relationship. So I want us to take a moment and stand up, and we're going to put Jeremiah 29 11 up. But I want to declare it and put yourself in this passage. Okay? So let's say this, I know the plans you have for me, ready? For I know the plans you have for me, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give me a future and a hope. Say it again. For I know the plans you have for me, they are plans for good and not disaster, to give me a future and a hope. One more time, with all of your heart, you're talking to him, not to me. Ready? For I know the plans you have for me, they are plans for good and not for the disaster, to give me a future and a hope. Amen?